Hi, my name is Ali Reza Mujibian, and welcome to Noteworthy. Benton Rourke is a singer-songwriter, band leader, recording artist, academic, composer, producer, and innovator of new musical instruments. I first met Benton in 2018 as part of the Vancouver Opera Festival's New Opera Works project, in which myself and five other students were given the awesome opportunity to create, workshop, and perform four new opera scenes. The best part of creating those scenes in such a short period of time was being able to work with incredible mentors like Benton. Welcome, Benton. How are you? Thank you, um, Ali. I am. I am flattered. Is how I am. I am. <laughs> I'm feeling very ego inflated at the moment with that introduction. Uh, as I mentioned, you 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 were um, a man of many talents, and I really want to get into as many of these talents as possible. Um, but first, as I said, you are from the United States, specifically from Atlanta, Georgia, if I'm not mistaken. You're um, not. You're yeah. not mistaken. How did your love for music present itself? I have, I have music lovers in my family and, um, and some uh, fair weather, you know, singers and guitarists and piano players, but no, uh, no professionals um, that I know of. But yeah, I mean, I I grew up listening to, um, you know, all the all the LPs my dad would put on, and uh, you know, for example, on Sunday mornings um, we'd we'd wake up to uh, to Bach and Mozart, and and then uh, move on to Willie Nelson at at noon, right? So there's already a fair range right there, which has led to some confusion um, over the years in my in my personality. Um, do you do you wake up some mornings as a Bach impersonator, and then the next day you wake up as Willie Nelson? Is well, that what happens? I, I mean, I try not to be. I try not to be an impersonator. Uh, <laughs> I try to be myself, but it's a fair question, and um, certainly um, Baroque and and uh, country music do live in there. That's for sure. Am I wrong in saying that you were studying physics first? Not first. Um, they okay. were they were concurrent. Oh, okay. How did that work out? B- busily. <laughs> <laughs> so you were you were doing your bachelor's of arts in physics and a bachelor's of arts in music at the same time. Uh, that's correct. That's correct. And Oberlin is one of those places where you you can do that more easily than uh, than some other places. I mean, it's kind of set up for that. The campus is fairly small. You can actually get from a physics class that ends at 9.50 to a music class that starts at 10 a.m. on the other side of campus and sneak in a nap in between um, and, and, uh, and, you know, not, not be scrambling too, too much. Why physics? I, uh, I spent a year in France in high school, and that was the uh, – and in France, you have to take all sciences every year. And so I was taking chemistry, biology, and physics, and that was the one that I was sort of best at and found some confidence in because I was, you know, having to learn the language and having to meet friends and uh, do all those things that exchange students uh, have to do. And so I would say that I kind of, I kind of bonded to physics a little bit. So when I came back, I just had more confidence in that. I probably did did better on my AP test and that sort of thing. And there is there is you know there is a a, a close relationship between music and physics which of course is sort of interesting, but I wanted something different. And I think a lot of people, when you go going into music would talk about like a backup, right? Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. Well, what's your backup? Like, what? What if you don't like make it, or what if you decide that it's not for Just you? Just such or- an unfair <laughs> question to ask anyone. Period. What is making it? It's all relative. I know it's a very damaging question. I mean, I got I I know people that are like that is the bar. It's like, well, have you know? I haven't made it yet, or I have I have I'm waiting, still waiting to make it, or you know, yeah. he or she didn't make it by the time they were. 30 or 40 or 50 or whatever. It's what you make of it, not That's right. It. Exactly. Yeah. There is no such thing. There is no such yes. thing. Uh, how did composition enter the fray? Did that, did that, is that something that you uh, were actively pursuing in your undergrad? Uh, um, did you just want, like to be creative and composition just butted out of that? Yeah, that's a good question. And um, yeah, thanks for giving me the chance to to talk about that. I mean, I composition was sort of lurking. It lurked in the shadows. You know, looking back on it, I probably should have should have just stopped both of those other degrees and just started doing composition. And I even thought about that a couple of times about halfway through my my college career. You know, I and I I mean, of course, I'm happy. I mean, so I don't regret my path on 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 the one hand, but I do feel like it might have been a a more direct line to to where I am in some ways, uh, especially because I I took a fair bit of time before I actually started really pursuing composition and and part of it was not having that full on experience and part of it was an identity question because you know I wasn't like I wasn't one of the cool composition kids. I mean, I say that with quotes, and I'm not. I'm not trying to say that I have m- many, many lovely colleagues from Overland who are <laughs> awesome. But I did feel a bit on the fringe sometimes. I guess is what I want to say. So I, I would do certain things, um, like with other other um, performance majors uh, who were into composition, but I wasn't like one of the composers there. So I, so it took a few years before I decided that I, I. T- to, to build up even a portfolio to kind of decide to go back at all and study that. Were you, were you singing and songwriting at the same time though? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. I was in, I, I stayed in, I stayed playing in bands in college and that was what I decided I wanted to do with my life when I got out of university. So when you graduated from university from your, from your uh, bachelor's, how long of a break did you take to eventually coming to Vancouver to do your master's? Um, Four years, four years. Oh, cool! And so, is that where uh, the uh, Benton Rourke Band and and uh, Roll Away were created? Roll Away uh, was created in that time period, and uh, so I moved to New York um, because a lot of people, you know, when they were out of school, it was kind of like this great dichotomy in America of you know, do you go east or do you go west, right? And, and, uh, so I went East and started a band. I mean, I had a couple bands before Rollaway was started, but, uh, one was sort of more art, art rock called the Iberian six. That was very nerdily named after a chord, <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was so cool. So what, so you went to New York and, uh, you started the band there and you were, you were in New York for the full four years? Uh, for three years. And I moved back in, uh, with my folks for the fourth year to kind of regroup and get my applications together and kind of lick my wounds, you know, so to speak. Um, just cause it was a bit of a, a slog in New York, uh, for those three years and in, in many ways, um, 
that's a whole other story. But I mean, I, I moved there just a couple weeks before 9-11. And um, so that was a quite, quite kind of an environment to, to start my like my my career and life and and my journey post post university in and um so you know i learned many things during those three years and i worked in a classical record store which was kind of like a second education in some ways because i got to know like like the field and i learned so much about music history and i felt like i really gained quite a broad view of of what was going on especially in classical music um, and what had gone on um, but the the environment itself at the store was was challenging in, in in some ways and there were other personal things that were also challenging um and you said you came back in your to stay with your parents in that last year what propelled you to Vancouver I can understand the theme of doing east and now wanting to try out west but um, how did Vancouver come into the fray of uh, doing your wanting to do your master's and then your DMA? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I would say uh, to to a large extent there was that underlying you know dichotomy, right, east west, and 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 wanting a change, you know, wanting something symbolically different. You know, if you're going to if you have the opportunity to go and pursue a master's, it's it is a chance to to to, uh, to get to know a different scene. Um, to learn a different part of the world. So I, I think that I, I was wanting something that was very, uh, for me in my own world on the other, on the other end of the, of, of it than New York, <laughs> like literally and figuratively, uh, and Vancouver felt like that. And on, on, in terms of specifics, um, a, a composer who I was studying with at Emory University named John Anthony Lennon had recommended that I get in touch with, uh, Stephen Chapman, um, at UBC. And I got to know Stephen and, um, and he was very welcoming and, um, and very enthusiastic. Um, and, and, and I, frankly, the, the whole situation at UBC just made sense. Um, I mean, there were a couple of other schools that I was looking at, but it felt right. I, I liked the idea of moving to Canada. You know, I don't think I fully understood at that time, like that it would be a long-term move <laughs> as it has been. And now that now I'm a Canadian citizen as of this week. So I was just <laughs> going to say, congratulations. Thank you. Welcome to Thank the you. family. All right. <laughs> A couple of years ago, you asked uh, me if I would be interested in in, in singing uh, in in the small excerpt we were also doing for the O Festival in your in your opera, The Handless Maiden. Yes, and which I which thank you for doing that, by the way. Uh, again. Th- thank you, <laughs> thank you for having me because it was such a cool experience. Because again, I was I was put in a situation where I was. Um, for me, I like putting myself out of my comfort zone. And it was the perfect experience to do that uh, because every time we listened to it, every time we had a rehearsal and even on the day of the performance, the music catches you in a different way. And the way you've, you've composed it is that you can't listen to the, to the piece, even if it was just that excerpt and think of it the same way, because there's always a, there's a, always a, a Easter egg that pops up and makes you think of something else. Do you think you do that? purposefully or do you think it's just a byproduct of of you pushing those boundaries i i don't believe i do it intentionally okay yeah i i don't i don't um 
I, I probably went through a phase where I was quite intellectual with my writing, but it that was quite some time ago. So I, I it's very intuitive. Um, and I do think that you got to see and be and thankfully part of um, a work that does bring a lot together um, sort of organically. There is a, a soundscape element. There is a groove element, of course, an operatic uh, lyrical element. And to some degree, some some experimentation with with temperament as well. Right. I'm happy with with that moment, and I was very honored to be f- featured uh, there um, for the VO Festival, and have been working on that piece. Um, a few, a, a little bit after that, we did a, a workshop of a bit more of that work, and it isn't completed yet, but um, it went really well, and we had um, and Tempest Flutes, which is Mark McGregor's uh, group sort of produce that workshop and it was wonderful to have the entire flute ensemble as sort of the, the, in some ways the set, what I'd call like the sonic set. Uh, so stay tuned. I, I do hope that work goes somewhere and, um, I don't have any, any plans with it at the moment, but it is still in development. So I'm going to, I'm going to offer one more little sort of side note on that is that my, my wife who, uh, Kathleen Allen, who was conducting that workshop said, I think I know you better after this uh, as an artist. And I mean, we've, we've been together for some time and she's seen a, a lot, but that piece gave her new insight more, more than others for sure. And uh, if you don't mind me asking, why do you think that is? I, I don't know. I think it's part of that multifaceted thing that you were getting at earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, and it, I mean, going back to the whole multifaceted aspect of your career, uh, you, in your time in Vancouver, you were also uh, the associate artistic director of the Redshift Music Society. Uh, but what is the Redshift Music Society and wh- what is its mandate? Uh, its mandate, I would say primarily it's to bring contemporary classical music um into the public sphere in new and interesting ways. So a lot of times what that means is shows in alternative venues. It's the idea of immersing audience goers in sound when they might either not be expecting it or in formats that they that aren't sort of straight ahead concert proscenium style acoustics. And along with that comes, you know, the commissioning of new work to that are works that are often tailor-made for those kinds of events. Uh, there's also more of a concert um, style arm to it, which is just to kind of push the concert experience um, in like traditional concert halls a little bit more uh, outside the box. That might be through the work itself, or it might be kind of tying in different themes. Uh, it might be through technology. Um, and and then there's also the record label side of Redshift, which now has become quite quite uh, prolific in its catalog in, in, a, in a short time. When you're deciding to do projects like something like Redshift or um, uh, or uh, producing a show, because I know you're on the produ- production side of things as well, um, what gets you interested about those things? Because I, I, the, I, what, what ignites that, uh, that spark for you to want to approach a new avenue of, uh, of music, like, sorry, a different angle of that music creation or, or show production? If that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I could, I could sort of go a few different ways with that, but the one that's 
sort of in my mind at the moment is, is the idea of place and how influential that can be in guiding creation. The idea that music is not made in a void, um, that you have to, in order to put on a successful event, you have to, you have to know where it's going to be presented. Um, I mean, that doesn't always happen, of course, but it's very important when you're creating a work to, to, to be able to know where it's going to be presented and the context surrounding that for the first time. So I think working with Redshift has, has really made me a strong believer uh, in that. And, and that informs a lot of, of what I do now. I mean, I, the, the environment around a, a premiere, like the physical environment, the acoustic environment, the cultural environment is quite important and very inspiring. I would love for you to tell the story of the Lumiphone and how that came into fruition. Right. So that, that was also a Redshift event and, um, and was an interesting merger of sort of what I was just talking about, the idea of space, right. And place. And because that was born at a concert that took place at the waterfall building, which is by Granville Island there in Vancouver, you usually see it through a waterfall. It's kind of a pyramid glass structure and, um, glass was a an integral part of that environment. And I brought this idea of microtonality and instrument design into that concert. I don't think I originally intended to make a glass instrument, but there you go. So we had a concert, it was a glass concert. And so I, I basically decided um, that one of the things that I'd been wanting to do was create a microtonal percussion instrument uh, that I would just do it in glass. And I had done a fair amount of research about microtonality and alternative tuning systems. Uh, one of my early heroes was Harry Parch, who was a an American composer who developed his own microtonal orchestra of instruments and cast them in these sort of strange experimental music theater works that were either inspired by Greek drama dance, you know, it's quite, quite a sort of unique path. I mean, there's not really anyone that does that, but I love this idea of bringing this all together. Science was part of it. I was going to, the, the physics aspect. To- totally. Of it have, yeah. I know. It's like, okay, yeah. how, how, how much can we, how much can we fit in here? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, and I, so, okay. A micro, a microtonal system. Did you, in, did you discover new notes in creating this instrument? No, no, not at all. No, no. I mean, this is, this is an age old field of, of study. I mean, my interest in microtonality was, was always tonal, but, but not tonal in the way that people that are into just intonation um, are seeking, which is totally fine. Just intonation is basically where you have one fundamental and everything around it is tuned as perfectly as possible to that fundamental. Right. And then the sort of on the uh, another way of approaching microtonality would be the equal divisions of the octave path, which is basically like 12 tone equal temperament, but with more notes. So the octave is actually equally divided, which allows, you know, for if you're writing tonal music, for example, for you to move between keys a little bit more fluidly, uh, just as, for example, in the well-tempered clavier or other enlightenment era works did. Should I clarify any of that? <laughs> no, I'm, 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 
I'm, I'm trying to think because uh, I'm trying to, I, honestly, I think we need to do another one of these. I'm just going to ask if you can bring an instrument along because I think, I think what I, what I'm craving right now is an actual demonstration. Well, um, I have a, <laughs> I have a Luma tone in front of me right here. Um, and it's not hooked up, but I, we could probably hit pause and I could do something if you want a demonstration there. I mean, up to you, we could do, or we could do it again. It's, um, no, I, if, if, are you okay with, are you cool with that? Yeah. I mean, it, it would just be for a quick sound bite, I think. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, totally. Nothing, nothing extreme. is so freaking it feels it feels like your every part of your body is going on like a roller coaster ride thank you for that i appreciate it no problem no problem i ask all of uh our guests this question uh because uh, a whole part of this uh podcast and these conversations is to see how uh artists are are doing on a personal level because we we work so hard um on an external level and there's always there's always pushing for um uh making things happen and especially right now with the quarantine uh and 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 the pandemic so if i may ask um what has been the effect of the quarantine on you uh, on a personal level I would say that it's mostly manifested itself in just low and just anxiety uh, and feeling like we are in a, a time of great importance at the same time. So there's a lot of urgency that is adding to those feelings of, of needing to solve, needing to understand, needing to reach out and not always being able to reach out has been a strong kind of, um, paradox i think that i i know i mean i assume a lot of people are feeling that so you know i mean a lot of people i feel more close to many people i've certainly had time to catch up with many many old friends and you know my family's talking like never before which is great i mean not that we didn't talk but it's just like the frequency the frequency is is great and in terms of work i have been fortunate enough to keep fairly busy you know i mean the projects of course aren't about making music with people as much um but i am making music with some people and you know in terms of trading like i'm making records right i'm um um various records and a lot of that is collaborative which is which is great which is a lot of fun that's really awesome that you're i mean and have you noticed an effect on um on your music making has it has it has it changed the way you or influenced the way uh, in which you make music at all? I've been waiting f- to know the answer to that, and I, I don't I don't know. It, I don't feel that yet. I, I process things pretty slowly, so it's possible things will be different in a year or two of, of my what I'm wanting to talk about. But um, I I have heard a number of cr- creative friends 
talk about the the desire to make joyful art, to make life affirming art, to not reflect with bleak, dark, apocalyptic art. And I, I uh, resonate with with that outlook. Um, I mean, I, sorry, I shouldn't say outlook. I, I am feeling that as well. I'm feeling like I don't want to engage with anything that's like super bleak artistically right now. And, and, um, you know, we're working with a fair number of constraints, but I mean, that, that's not new as, you know, creators, that's, that's sort of always been the case. We have constraints that we work with. And so it's a matter of what we will do with that and what we can envision. And I mean, I, you know, I'm working with an event, um, that's happening next weekend. That's an outdoor I just wanted to ask you about that. Yeah. Oh yeah. I think I had mentioned that to you. It's an outdoor music event, uh, with sound symposium and, you know, it's in a large botanical garden, uh, easy, easy to social distance, uh, to, to, to keep the social distancing and probably in some ways inspired by my work with redshift. It's basically, it's a, it's a, it's bringing, an environment to life with music, right? And I think we'll probably see more of that type of performance, you know, over the next year and a half. And maybe, and maybe it will steer us off into a future where that is more, that's more typical long-term. Before we wrap up, uh, what have you been listening to during quarantine? I, oh, lots, uh, lots, many playlists. Um, Wow, this is finally, I was doing so well, you know, on this, <laughs> you're going to stump me here at the end. <laughs> um, maybe I should just pull up my, you can, t- uh, you have uh, no idea. So many guests have done that. They've just pulled out their Spotify. <laughs> well, it's funny. Cause I, I work with composers that like don't do Spotify. And so it's kind of like, I I'm like, it, I'm like confessing to the world that I use Spotify. <laughs> Oh man. Okay. So what I'll do is I will read to you a playlist that I created for a project that I am working on with, um, Arcora, which is a group that I, I run with Kathleen that we had a huge tour that was supposed to happen this summer. And it was like, we planned it. It was a long standing dream. And of course it didn't happen. Uh, hopefully it'll happen next summer. But anyway, so our core kind of took a step back and decided to, to work on a chamber project that could be a remote collaboration. So that's now kicked off and, uh, and uh, there's a feature in music works this month, um, to check out on that, but pretty excited about that. And we were sharing some playlists. So I am going to share my playlist that I created with that project or for that project. Okay. Derek trucks band. So I love, I love Tedeschi trucks. That's my first pick on there. Uh, it's like carrying on the torch of good, good fusion, Southern rock and roll. I mean, awesome musicianship, epic links, big band. Uh, so that would be that, that that's on there. Uh, there's a trad artist named Emily Portman who does awesome work. Uh, it's kind of the new trad movement out of the UK. Um, so check her stuff out um kind of re-engaging with some weather report good 70s fusion uh jazz um some pat metheny uh some hildegard is in there and uh, let's see 
Oh, I got a couple from this this album that I'm I'm going to totally give myself away as a major deadhead by saying this, but there was a huge uh like dead tribute record that all sorts of people played on that came out recently um called I think it's called Day of the Dead, but there is so many good uh good works on that and it's totally like a who's who of like the indie classical scene. So check out all of the songs from that. Um, and yes, I, I am a deadhead. I'm, you know, there you go. Let, let, let the world know. <laughs> Benton, it has been an absolute pleasure. This, this podcast is definitely going to be one of the most interesting ones, at least for me. Could you come back again and we can dive into uh, one rabbit hole and just see how far we get? <laughs> all right, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much for your time hey no this has been a lot of fun and it's good to catch up and i mean of course it's wonderful to have the chance to to share all of all of that to close out today's episode please enjoy one of my favorite songs from benton's band roll away thank you to duncan watts grant for editing and producing this show with me if you are a new listener, remember to subscribe, like, and leave us a comment on Apple Podcast. We are really looking forward to the seasons ahead and would love your input on how we can be better. As always, please make sure to support your local arts and cultural institutions. Thank you for listening.